Thank you all for being here. Uh, Karen and I are going to co-teach or lead this class um, on section, what we call section eight of the Genjo Koan. And I'm really glad you're here. Uh, so far we have one, two, three, four, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven people in the Zendo and sixteen online. Uh, 16 online, that doesn't include the Zendo, right? Okay, that gives us a count. And uh, perhaps more people will join us. So, really glad to be here. Um, I'll just start off with a brief introduction. Um, Sajin said in one of his lectures that I listened to in the audio archive from 2012, um, that the Genjo, and it was on the Genjo Koan, that he wanted us to get the Genjo Koan into our bones to understand it deeply. And I remember he, he read it a number of times in the, the section about um, to study uh, the Buddha way, just to forget the Buddha way, that section just penetrated me and I, early in my time here in the 1990s, early 1990s, I wrote that phrase down and I still, I found it in my office and I put it back up on the wall. Um, there's something about this koan, I think, I, my understanding is he wrote it for lay people, lay person, so maybe that's why it reaches me so much. I'd like to start with two translations. Um, and I'll read them, but this is not a long column, so uh, I'll read one version and then Karen's going to ring a bell, and then I'll read the second, and I'll have a bell, and then she will go into some commentary and ask for and questions. Is that about right? Okay. Can you all hear me okay online? Yeah, I see thumbs up. Thank you. Enlightenment is like the moon reflected in the water. The moon does not get wet, nor is the water broken. Although its light is wide and great, the moon is reflected even in a puddle an inch wide. The whole moon and the entire sky are reflected in dewdrops on the grass or even in one drop of water. Enlightenment does not divide you, just as the moon does not break the water. You cannot hinder enlightenment, just as a drop of water does not hinder the moon in the sky. The depth of the drop is the height of the moon. Each reflection, however long or short its duration, manifests the vastness of the dewdrop and realizes the limitlessness of the moonlight in the sky.
And here's another version. And this is a little bit different from the one that was sent out. And um, Shohaku Okamura, it's in his book, Realizing Genjo Koan. When a person attains realization, it is like the moon's reflection in water. The moon never becomes wet. The water is never disturbed. Although the moon is a vast and great light, it is reflected in a drop of water. The whole moon and even the whole sky are reflected in a drop of dew on a blade of grass. Realization does not destroy the person as the moon does not make a hole in the water. The person does not obstruct realization, as a drop of dew does not obstruct the moon in the sky. The depth is the same as the height. To investigate the significance of the length and brevity of time, we should consider whether the water is great or small and understand the size of the moon in the sky. Going to read from three three paragraphs one by one with commentary um, and then after each one I'll ask a question or put out put out something that perhaps you can respond to and of course you don't have to respond <coughs> exactly what I ask. You can respond to whatever moves you. So the first one is from Uchiyama. And here is one commentary. Commonly we think that we are deluded human beings who wish to make ourselves into Buddhas by using some technique to attain enlightenment. As I said regarding the eighth section, we assume there must be a transition from delusion to enlightenment. However, Dogen Zenji wrote that there is no such transition, but all of us, whether we are deluded human beings or not, are living the reality of life prior to any separation between delusion and enlightenment and life and death. According to Zen tradition, when Shakyamuni Buddha attained enlightenment, he said, quote, I, the great earth, and sentient beings simultaneously attained the way. Mountains, rivers, grass, and trees have all become Buddha.
what comes up for you when you hear there really isn't a transition between delusion and enlightenment. Ellen. Um, I'll just say that um, I am kind of fascinated with how many ways I think of enlightenment as other than me. Can you hear online what Ellen is saying? Okay, good. I mean, I know it isn't, but I still think it is. You know, I think that way, and I notice myself thinking that way, and I think I have always in different ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's someone online. Here has his hand raised. One moment. I just in response to Ellen, I, I think that's something that Suzuki Yoshi loves to point out. Exactly that point that. Uh, I mean, it's so varied the way I do it. You know, I'm just fascinated by it. I've been thinking about it a lot recently. Mm. Thank you. Peter, is Peter the one? You it's said? Kabir. Oh, Kabir. I Hi, just... good evening. Uh, hi. Uh, for, uh, we just uh, read <clears throat> uh, The Unborn. Everything is included. It's it's already there. It always has and always will be. We just have to show up. And we're already, we're already showing up even if you don't want to. You're here. That's it. Yeah. And what I appreciate what uh, Sue wrote, uh, read about, even in a one inch of a puddle, the moon, you can see the moon's reflection. When I read that, uh, when uh, Ryushin emailed that, um, that there's no discrimination in Dharma in a Buddha way or enlightenment, it can it, you can be a beginner and have that, or you, or its it size does not matter. In other words, if it can, the moon can reflect in a giant lake or a one-inch puddle. And a lot of times, you know, we we'll look down on puddles like, oh, it's just a puddle. It's dirty. It's it's in the way. It's giving me a flat tire. I mean, you know, or whatever you call it, but it. It has potential. It's 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 part of it. There's no discrimination in 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 the, in the house of Buddha, or in the Dharma or the three jewels. And I, from the first moment that I set foot in the BZC, I I felt welcome. And till this day, and and I think the sangha that we were part of demonstrates that every day, every time. So, and it, it feels, I feel very fortunate. So, thank you. Thank you. Jonathan. I'm trying to think of how I want to phrase this. Um, it, it, it's certainly the doctrine that that everyone 
fundamentally possesses this nature and, and, um, and essentially nothing changes and yet something changes. I mean, the, you know, I, I mean, Lori just got done teaching the, the Pali Canon class and there are an awful lot of suttas dedicated to explaining how different Shakyamuni was. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, the, the 32 marks of the great beings or, you know, how, I mean, how many names does he have? I mean, no one's ever called me Bhagavan. Um, and, and I think, you know, if, if I can editorialize a minute, um, I think sometimes it's a little easy for us to say, it's a little easy for me to say, um, well, it's already there, you know, nothing has to change, like you're good the way you are. Um, and yet something changes and, and the practice is set up to allow the change to occur. And so I, I, Like, yes, there, nothing changes and something changes. Like, and, and I think that's, it's in, it feels important to me to bring that side up too. Well, it sounds like you're saying a perception changes. I don't know if it's necessarily just perception. Um, I mean, something happened to Shakyamuni under the Bodhi tree that morning. And maybe it was just he, he realized the true nature of things. He realized what he already had, but he had to sit there and realize it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I mean, we have, you know, we chant Kazan's name in our list of ancestors. He wrote a whole book about enlightenment stories. You know, some, something happened. Um, and that, so I, I, there's two sides to this. And I, I think, like I, I'm repeating myself now, but it, it feels important to bring out both sides, at least to me. Mm -hmm. Dan. Sort of along those lines, let me ask you a question. Is enlightenment just a shift in perception? Mm -hmm. That is, we are existing into being with everything. Moon to birds, everything, everything. And yet we feel we perceive ourselves as separate being with our own aims and and conflict with others and you know all that all that stuff. So is enlightenment just a shift in perception where you see the reality of interbeing that has always been there? That feels too simple to me, but that's so that's why I'm asking that question. Is that is that what's involved? Because perception could shift suddenly, perception can shift gradually. It's just it's all in your head, you know, it's a perception. Is there more to it than that? Well, there's practice. So 
he could have a perception for a moment that perhaps lasts a moment, but we have to keep practicing. I mean, Dogen held that question that of um, if we are enlightened, what do we need to practice or why do we? Um, the easy answer to that question is because we haven't perceived the truth yet. Well, maybe some people have. I don't think we're all practicing here because we haven't perceived the truth. Maybe some have, some haven't, but that's not, I don't think what it's all about necessarily, but I'd like to hear from other people about this question, Lord. Well, one thing I've been thinking, you know, is that we keep thinking that Dogen is making some kind of statement about reality or objective reality, but, you know, Oftentimes, the Dharma is medicine. It's, it's something's being said. So I keep thinking, what is the problem with thinking that you're not Buddha? And I think you said it. it. It's a problem if you don't think you're Buddha. If you think there's this big distance that you, this gap that you have to close, you you never close it, you know. And so that's the problem that he's addressing. He's addressing. The problem with the way we think, which is that I'm over here and Buddha's over there, you know. I mean, we, we, I was in this class where people were um, saying, what are, what are our mistaken beliefs? You know, what are humans' mistaken beliefs? And I said, popped out, you know, just popped in my mind, I'm not Buddha. And everybody laughed like that was hilarious, you know. But I think that's what he's saying. If you, 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 you have to address your belief already. Maybe you are, maybe you aren't. Maybe you're awake, maybe you're not. But what's getting in your way, me, what's getting in my way is my feeling this distance that, that I could never close the gap between me and Buddha. And, believe, and I believe that that's the truth. I believe that it's true that I'm not, you know. I don't know how it really is, but it's the belief that's getting in the way. Mm -hmm. Well, um, a couple of things came up in this conversation. I remember my husband, Gordon, when I was rattling on about such things while we were hiking on Mount Tam, and he'd say, you know, am I, and things like, am I good enough, or did I make a mistake, or what should I be doing, or I shouldn't be better than I am, basically those things, and he said, Pay attention to the stones. And uh, it was profound, you know, to keep reminding me about that. Oh, you know. And I think a lot of the books that I've managed to find, including Realizing Genjo Khan and the Three Commentaries, um, Dogen's Genjo Khan. I think in some ways I interpret it as don't worry about it. Don't, you know, once we, it, somehow the questioning is actually the gap, exposes the gap, I think, like Ellen was talking about, and my, my Buddha, you know, <laughs> that maybe, maybe we shouldn't worry about it. <laughs> 
but we should start acting like it. Um, <laughs> I, I don't start acting like it. I think we're doing the best we can, Lori. <laughs> and then, I'll, yeah, and I just want to add that in realizing Genjo Khan, um, there's a really interesting discussion about the word realization or satori and the different meanings and going back to Japanese and Chinese and and it's very nuanced and I don't it seems that he's saying that Dogen didn't say one way is right you know you, you turn it like medicine you turn to say oh this is helpful or it isn't or I have a resting point with this understanding and maybe that's that's what I look for yeah you did you have your hand up? Yeah, I don't know if this is relevant. I mean, it's just uh, this a little story at the end where the student asks the teacher, like, why are you fanning yourself if the wind is everywhere? Mm -hmm. And it, um, yeah, just that came to my mind. I really like that section. I mean, to me, that's about, yes, we are Buddha, but we still have to make an effort. Uh, Ellen. Well, I also want to make a point that just by dividing things up, you know, that's, you know, that's not, I mean, that's seen a separation. Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, which isn't necessarily wrong. It is a point that if you say delusion of enlightenment, that's two, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I want to just read a paragraph from uh, Suzuki Roshi. Although its light is wide and great, that he's quoting from uh, Genjakoa, although its light is wide and great, you may say the moon's light is bright and great, while the moon in the dew is so small. The moon in the sky is also in the drop of dew. Even though it is in the drop of dew, it is the moon. Even though you may say your attainment is too small, enlightenment is enlightenment. There's no difference. Is the moon really in the dewdrop? Or is that just what we tell ourselves? Because it's just a reflection, or it is a reflection, that we say is the moon in the dewdrop. Mm -hmm. But isn't that still dualistic? Clay has his hand up. Who? Clay. Clay. Um, <clears> Hi. <throat> when I was reading um, what you all sent out, I, I realized I had a couple of sort of um, stumbling blocks or tussles with it. And uh, the first one was this, the word enlightenment is kind of challenging for me, I think. And um, the reason is that it seems like it's sort of a thing something you sort of have or don't have and you attain it and then you got it and 
to me, that isn't um, my sort of understanding of reality is more about um, an unfolding uh, sort of dynamic, creative thing that's going on all the time. And um, it just doesn't seem to me sometimes that an enlightenment proper um, indicates that as much as a word like awakening, which seems to be more of a process-oriented thing. Um, so as I was reading that, um, the moon and a dewdrop version that you sent out, I realized, oh, I'm getting stuck on enlightenment. I think I need to set that aside a little bit and just sort of, <laughs> you know, just try to get back to what to what my understanding is. And, and if awakening works better for me, then I'll, I'll go with that. So I appreciate the other uh, translation that Sue read. And then the other thing I realized after, you know, uh, decades of practice was is I've never really seen the moon reflected in a dewdrop. <laughs> never, I've never just looked at that, you know, and um, I've read the book plenty of times. But, you know, um, and today's a pretty good moon. So I was thinking I might go out and see if see how that looks um, later on after class. Maybe we should do that on the break. <laughs> <laughs> Ron Nestor has his hand up. Hi, Ron. Hey, Ron. Oh. Hi. Hi. Um, I just want to say a word for open mind. An open mind that can just take in whatever comes rather than conjecture about realization and enlightenment and ignorance and blah, blah, blah. blah. Why not just have an open mind and just just absorb what's happening? That's all I want to say. <laughs> Thanks. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Yoni, did you? Okay? Yeah, uh, I wonder if I mean if enlightenment is this like big general thing, or if it can also be very specific or specific to certain instances, like uh, like when when someone says something and I don't know, I was, I've been reflecting on like a dokusan that I had with Stojan before, before he died and how something he said in that dokusan like really just put me at ease. And I felt like enlightened. I felt like lightened up by it. And I was still, I'm still like deluded in so many other ways, but in that moment, one thing that was troubling me, I was enlightened of. And it, I like, that makes me feel more comfortable with the word enlightenment because it doesn't have to be this big, huge thing. It can also be this little moment yeah. that sits with a bunch of other diluted moments. I like that. Thanks. It's kind of like what Suzuki Yoshi was saying. Small. Mm. Instead of enlightenment, Enlighten up. Yeah. <laughs> Enlighten up. <laughs> yeah. Does anyone want to share any experience they have had? Um, you don't have to call it enlightenment, you know, but perhaps an understanding. Uh, when my mother died, um, I remember going outside on the deck and it was a moon, a 
under the moonlight. And there were no words. There was just the words stopped. There was this gigantic moon, and I'd never really spent time looking at it. Because usually when I'm outside looking in the night sky, there are mosquitoes. So I don't spend a lot of time doing that. But there weren't. And, um, and I didn't spend a lot of time outside. I don't at home at night, but I should. I mean, it's wonderful. And it was vast, just pouring down on um, and there were no words. Kabir has his hand raised. Kabir? Um, yes. Um, so when Sue mentioned Gordon um, saying, pay attention to the rocks, when we're at Tassajara uh, recently, um, sort of everything came came to life from a speck of dust to the whole thing. and But more importantly, all the rocks, I felt they're all just alive, even like just little tiny on the pathway. And I'm not even talking about the, the gigantic mountains around you and the raw, and they were just alive. And I, it was, I cannot explain it, but you really felt that they had, they were alive and rocks are alive. I mean, I'm just blown away that. So what, when, when Sue mentioned that, yes, yeah, just pay attention to the rocks. They can teach us so much. Yes. Yeah. I think that the lesson for me with the rock are Suzuki Roshi and uh, Sojin Roshi is just being with. I'm just, I have to touch them. I have to touch Sojin's rock. And there's no words. Thank you, Kabir. I'm going to read one more. Um, this is from Uchiyama again. And this is a commentary, a paragraph in response to the depth is the same as the height. The important matter for us is how we wave the fan and actualize the wind of life which is boundless and infinite. How, how can we actualize universal life right here and right now? That is what Reverend Imagawa expressed as here now. Whatever the conditions, we are always living within the life of Buddha. But at the same time, it is really crucial to see that this reality is the life of Buddha. Our problem is how to actualize the reality of the life of Buddha right here and right now. This is what Dogen Zenchi meant when he said, the water has its own depth and the moon has its own height.
I want to talk about the problem is right here, right now. Mm -hmm. It's not like you're doing something wrong. You know, why can't I feel, why can't I let go of these worries or, but it's, Sometimes I get what I'm doing. Oh, I'm worrying. And that can drop away. It's like, it's okay that I'm churning. You know, like just the continual digging your own hole deeper and deeper by worrying about not doing it right, not doing that right, not doing that right. At some point, following that down, maybe it's another way of taking the backward step. Like you can't go any farther and it stops and then you just come to a still point and suddenly you see a different way of perceiving or a different understanding. And um, that takes facing into the problem, which often becomes an opportunity. And I've had that over and over again. So to say that enlightenment is just perceptual, uh, maybe it is. We, we are in the, I think, um, I was on yesterday when I talked to him, talked about the many faceted, faceted aspects of this, you know, like Indra's net. So where we are is this narrow, jeweled perception point, and it's, but it's part of the whole. And we can't perceive that we're humans. But we can perceive our particular interse- intersection, or Indra's net intersection, hold it lightly. Maybe it shifts. And we can see more intersections. Does that make sense? I, I well, I love Zaza, um, and I find, for me, that I see myself grasping all the time, grasping at entertainment, grasping at some old argument I might have had with someone that I'm still not finished with, um, grasping at wanting, wanting to be somewhere else. And so in Zazen, we, we, let, we continuously let go. And then the self, that, that kind of what Sojin called the small self, the one that's always um, complaining and begging and craving and all that, you know, that voice becomes softer and softer. So for me, a lot of awakening has to do with this um, ego self, <coughs> loosening the grip of that. And then things like stones and leaves and animals and people just become brighter. I mean, it's not all about me all the time. Yeah. 
So um, I don't have a watch with me. What time is it? Okay, great. Um, I think that um, the second part of it, do you have another reading? I can't remember how many we've done. I, um, I have a few things, but they don't have to. It's not necessary. It's from the other book, Okamura's book, that I actually forgot to bring. But I have the quotes. You go ahead, Sue. Well, okay. So I think we've really been addressing these questions already. Um, but I'm going to read the first translation, just the first paragraph, and then ask a few questions that we probably already talked about. Yes, Ellen. We're we moving on now. Is that what we're yeah, and, unless somebody else has anything no, to I say. Yeah, I wasn't either. I'm fumbling away here. And by I'm getting on to the next sec another section. Yeah, I'm going to move to another section. And I think if somebody can remind us in 10 minutes, we'll have a little break. Okay, so this this was section eight, back to that, and just the first paragraph. Enlightenment is like the moon reflected in the water. The moon does not get wet, nor is the water broken. Although its light is wide and great, the moon is reflected even in a puddle an inch wide. So we already shared about, some of us, about experiences in moonlight. And I just wonder if other people have experiences with moonlight on the water, even like paddling at night on a pond. Have you, Taryn? Yeah, I, I, I went on this paddleboard camping trip this summer where we paddled to a little island in a lake. Hold on a second. Can you hear Taryn? I can talk louder. Do you want to come up or talk oh, louder? I'm here. They can hear. They can hear. Okay. Speak up. Okay. I can talk really loud. Um, Great. You're a teacher. You can do that. Yes, I can. Um, we we were paddled. We paddled out and camped on an island in a lake, and then we went paddleboarding in the dark. It was the most fascinating thing because you get away from the island and you realize you can't see it anymore. Besides, like the little fire, you know, little tiny lights that are there. But it was so cool because you get out in the middle of the water and like everything disappears. And so you have like the moon reflect. I just like suddenly so vividly remembered it, the moon reflecting on it. And then just black, like pitch black. But it's very interesting. You kind of disappear a bit. Thank you. Uh, Jake and Leslie. Hi. Um, so. I've always had an affinity for the moon, I will say that. And uh, also, I love to backpack. And I remember one backpacking experience in the Trinity Alps. I was camped at Grizzly Lake, which is an elevation 7,000 feet or so. And I knew there was um, a moon going to rise that evening. 
Um, actually, it was, yeah. And anyway, it did. And I thought, oh, I want to see the moon up in the lake. And so when I went up above the, the lip there and got so I could see the lake, a wind came up right at that moment. And suddenly there were a thousand moons dancing on the lake. It was the wind stirring the water. And so there was just a multiplicity of moons. And I just, I, there were no words. I just sat there and took it in. So connecting that to, you know, awakening or enlightenment, to me, I kind of agree with what Clay said about enlightenment, but for me, when I'm able not to separate Jake from other, be it in nature or human being, that's when that's it's marvelous. It doesn't happen all that much, but it does happen. And I think it probably happens for all of us one time or another. And when you lose that, you know, small mind always up front, it's gone. That's wow. Yeah. Thank you, Jake. And it's not a big thing or a little thing. It just is. That's beautiful. Doesn't that experience affect your life, even though it was a small thing? Well, it does. Um, um, you know, it's if we let it, <laughs> it's, it's not getting in the way of, of what's in front of us. So I'm thinking about what Jonathan said about the poly canon, or poly sutras rather, and the class, and this changes you, right? So Buddha had an experience that changed him. Is this, can we connect it? Do you think it's somewhat similar? Or, or at least we could relate to it through that, I do. Susan. Yeah, I don't know if we really changed. You know, when I, when I was just starting Zen practice, Sojin Roshi told me, um, you know, you're probably not going to change as a result of this practice, but the choices you make about the way you want to live your life may change. And maybe that's a subtle difference, but I mean, I think I'm the very same person I've always been. <laughs> and um, I remember my dad telling me that right before he died, that he felt the same way he felt his whole life on the inside. Um, but we, in that paragraph you read, Karen, the last one, the word how was in there several times. How do we fan? How we fan ourselves. And Sojin was always saying that's the Zen word, how we do something. 
So, and that's related to choice, right? Mm -hmm. So I just feel like there's way too much focus in ourselves on how the practice is going to change us and that that's kind of the wrong direction. You know, that um, how we practice, because we're really practicing, aren't we, to um, just express something? Nice. Yeah, that's kind of how I see it. Thank you, Susan. Yeah, okay, so thank you, Genson. Um, Do we take a break? Let's take sure. a five minute stretch and um, Genson, can you tell me when? just want to keep opening this up with these questions. The next little section, the whole moon and the entire sky are reflected in dew drops on the grass or even in one drop of water. This isn't the next one. This is the, this is the same section you The have, same right? section, okay. yeah. I, I, we misunderstood. I thought you were moving to a different section. Well, although the, it's section eight. It's just broken up into one one paragraph at a time or one sentence. But wait, at the beginning of this class, you read both paragraphs, right? I read both translations fully. And right now, I'm just reading a little section of the first translation, okay. having some time okay. for comment, and then and questions. So I'm going to read the next one, too, because I think we need to move along. Enlightenment does not divide you, just as the moon does not break the water. You cannot hinder enlightenment, just as a drop of water does not hinder the moon in the sky. So I have two questions. Have you ever experienced the whole universe in a drop of water or in moonlight? How do you experience enlightenment? Does it divide you? And this is an odd question, but it came up for me. Do you trust in life, enlightenment, as in the moon and the water? Taryn. So this was a comment that I thought of earlier when you were talking about um, seeing the sky after you said it was that your mother had died. And it made me think about, to try to figure out how to string it together see if it comes out making sense because it is connected but okay go for it it made me immediately think of a really similar experience um and then and then a, a different thought in that which is i talked about this in the last basic mind talk that i gave but after my dad died having this experience of being on the beach um and just a couple days after being like so kind of immersed in you and seeing this pod of dolphins swim by and this just this kind of indescribable feeling of like feeling really aware of them and their experience and they're out there and they're swimming and they're not experiencing this like messy mass of grief that I'm in the middle of and I'm in the middle of it but like feeling the separation from it almost and the really okayness with it 
Mm -hmm. um, and what I was thinking about next, when you, you the different comment you made about like, the, the worrying, it feels so much easier for me to accept that than the day-to-day -day I'm worrying about the little argument with somebody or little annoying thing. And I'm wondering if there's a connection here of like the really big, like grief that's so big that I know I don't have control over this. Yeah. I feel like in that, I can see something. But in the day-to-day -day of like, I'm dissatisfied with the traffic or the whatever thing that's so minimal, I do that as separate somehow from the bigger one. And I'm curious about that. I, I do think that's right about grief, the, the big losses or, or like the time I was caught in a riptide and I couldn't get back to shore and I had to give in. Yeah. Um, there was an acceptance, maybe. And I, I remember an old lady once saying, and now I'm an old lady, but she was an old lady then, and um, she said, isn't it amazing how you come alive when somebody dies? Which <laughs> is <laughs> <laughs> <Just> sort of <laughs> shocking. <laughs> but yeah, I, I sort of get that. Yeah, thank you. Clay has his hand up. Thank you, please. Did anyone look for the moon in a drop of water? <laughs> Did you? I did. Tell us. What happened? I wanted to give a field report that you can really see the moon in drops of water. <laughs> and it's it's kind of tricky, a couple of things like, you know, you're looking for it and you're looking for it. And as you do that, like I just tossed a few ounces of water on the grass. But it's all moving around really fast when you do that. So it sort of has an Indra's net sort of feeling to it. It's like this, all this reflecting going on. But to see the individual moon, I had to really slow down and just stop. And then in these little drops were this little itty tiny, tiny little moon, this little <laughs> circle. <laughs> it was really great. I, I recommend <laughs> Yeah, all the way from what Colorado Springs, huh? Yeah, all the way from Colorado Springs. Yeah, thank you. You got the same moon out there, I think. I think. So we're, let's see. Yes, Dan. An experience that's hard to relate, but it has to do with a drop of water. And at work, we look at drops of water under a microscope. And there is an entire world, mm. and we can see it. Dogen knew that that was the case, but it's, it's really cool to be able to see it. And we have these tools that allow us to sort of expand and retract our perceptions to react to the drop of water or the entire universe as seen through the telescope. It sort of makes those vast or tiny scales accessible to us. I love that. I just think it's really. It's really cool. I'm not quite sure what that is doing, but <laughs> glad to hear it. It really is a universe in a drop of water. You can see it. The universe as we, we become aware of. Yes, Yoni. I feel similarly whenever I press a key on my computer, the world of things that are happening under the surface that end up being just a letter on the screen 
always just blows my mind. Yeah. <laughs> just like, what? That's, yeah. It's like complete solar system of design is crazy. Yeah, we, we perceive a little piece mm -hmm. and sometimes something allows us to have a larger view. Yeah. And it's awesome. Uh, well, and then Genson and then maybe someone online. The last question, does enlightenment divide us? I don't, I don't know if it's an enlightenment experience. I was sitting uh, at Tassajara and I was sitting all night. So it was like three in the morning or something and this, the moon was out and it was bright enough in the zendo that I was able to see. And I was just so exhausted that all the voices shut down and I was just sitting there listening to the crickets and being with the crickets. And that sense of everything being connected and everything being attached, because those crickets were the ones that I could hear, but there were others all over the world. And there was other animals and all kinds of things that were all, all together, all part of one thing. Um, those moments of seeing how everything's connected feel like enlightenment to me. So it's sort of the opposite of divisiveness. It's, it's seeing how the things that I thought were divided aren't is, is really where it always strikes me. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And Dan. Well, just a, a question that's part of what Dan told us a question? Yeah, a, bit, yeah, a, a question? That is, um, that, that we're talking about perception and seeing things in a new way, but um, it seems like enlightened people are in the world in a different way. That they're, it has to do with like being only here in the present moment. I'm not quite sure what that has to do with the issues of perception but that seems to be an attribute so you perceive a difference in people that you would think are enlightened well i'm saying sure i guess it's all you know it's all our perceptions but it seems it seems to go beyond perception in the way that they are living in the world being mm. in the world we, we, yeah we notice how people live in the world and move and move yeah, I do. I noticed that uh, when I had the preschool, you know, how we move in the space, the classroom, how we interact with um, the environment is a really big part of preschool. Moving in harmony with the space and the things, learning to use items and and discover and explore so yeah i i can't see the gallery but uh, is there anyone out there who yeah would like kabir has his hand up yes please um i too had a similar experience <clears throat> in um in green gulch but uh, also in Sahara and for me um if, if, if you can give an enlightenment a description, is realizing that all things matter and all things have a purpose. 
that's if I could describe enlightenment that, that everything has a purpose. Hmm. Sometimes you know, all things have a purpose, all things matter, all things yes. make a difference, have an impact. Yes. Even if it's a great impact of annoyance. <laughs> yeah. Yes. The, the the mind weeds and everything else in between. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. So just speaking the obvious, um, you know, it's a lot of poetry about moonlight and water and realization. Um, it's a very poetic, it can be a very poetic expression. And I think we've heard a lot of that tonight. I just really appreciate what people are sharing. Um, there was a, I guess I'll just finish with, um, can I read this? I can't even remember this. The depth of the last phrase of that translation, the depth of the drop is the height of the moon. Each reflection, however long or short its duration, manifests the vastness of the dewdrop and realizes the limitlessness of the moonlight in the sky. And I think that what I've heard what we've heard tonight is really expressing that so beautifully, like the microscope and the telescope and the letter and the computer and the vastness of that design and putting some, in Colorado Springs, putting some drops of water on the grass and looking for the moon, slowing down to look at the moon, moonlight in it. That's Thank you. I really appreciate that. There's a commentary that I, I don't know that we have time for much of this, but stop me, you know, and how, what time is it? It's 825. 825. Oh, yeah. Okay. So hang in there, folks. Um, so I typed this up from Dogen, Dogen's Zenjo, Genjo Koan, the three commentaries, and this is um, Bokusan Nishiari Roshi in section two, if you ever get that book, which I finally got and it's worth it. Um, this shows the principle of non-hindrance between a person and, a dar and the Dharma. The Dharma enters the person and the person enters the Dharma. In this way, the person and the Dharma do not have separate bodies. And I think you, some of, you know, we heard some of that tonight. Um, and Suzuki Roshi said of the Genjo Koan, there is no more problem of big or small, talking about the, the height of the moon, the depth of the drop. There is no more problem of big or small. Each moment of our life is an expression of conditionality of one unconditional being. It is not a matter of long or short. You may seek, and this is what you said, you may seek enlightenment, which you may think is some special experience, where you will not have problems, where you'll get rid of your vicious habits. 
things will still happen to you even though you attain enlightenment. So the water is not broken, nor does the moon get wet, even though you say your attainment is too small. Enlightenment is enlightenment. There is no difference. And Uchiyama Roshi said, however Dogen Zenji wrote, all of us, whether we are deluded human beings or not, are living the reality of life prior to any separation between delusion and enlightenment and life and death. It is not a matter of putting ourselves, our self-power to work and seriously practicing in order to attain enlightenment. We are reflecting the formless moon. The formless moon dwells in us. And then later these days, since human beings have been to the moon, we think the moon is just a branch of the earth. But we must read this section of Genjo Koan with the feeling of the ancient people who called the moon Nono-sama and worshipped it. The moon is a symbol of the absolute that is beyond human discriminating thoughts. It is a vast and great light. Uchiyama Roshi says, Dogen Zenji's writing is beautiful and sophisticated. Without explaining, he says the depth is the same as the height. All of us without exception are living out the reality of life. We don't need to worry about it. <laughs> and then he says something which I thought could be a different conversation and could go on for a very long time at another time, but we might touch on it. We should not mix up karmic self with original self. What do you think of that? Damn. Are they really different? Is that karmic self an expression of universal? Karmic self is an expression of universal self? No. So before you mix them up, you've got to separate them. Maybe you mix them up. Maybe just the way your karmic self is expressing it is part of the whole. It is. then you don't have to worry about making a mistake. Sometimes. Someone has their hand up. Marley has their hand up. Thank you, Marley. Let's hear it. Thank you. Um, I appreciate, I appreciate this part about um, I think the last the last patch of it which was talking about difficulties as well as the moon as well as the um, the dewdrop and 
this part about mixing up karmic self and original self. Maybe I'll bring up an experience I once had after a long time meditating one day. And I went out and I ate a meal that I disliked, that I, I it had mushrooms. And at the time I hated those things. They were slimy, they didn't taste good. Um, um, but I just hated them <laughs> for some little moment. And I was like, eh, gross, how interesting. Gross, how interesting, yeah. Um, I've never really disliked mushrooms again. Can't say what that means. But, um, you know, that um, I appreciate the, the, the sense that maybe you don't have, even if you, if you're trying to not mix the two up, that doesn't mean you throw the karmic self out either. Yes. And, and maybe who we are just from a different tradition is not our preferences. Just our preferences. Thank you. That's love that. Anybody else? Well, I like what Marley said, telling that story because. Uh, in the Genjo Koan, Dogen says that the moon and the drop, dewdrop, don't inhibit each other. They're just who they are or what they are. I, I think I'm repeating what's been said over and over, but not an either or situation. Right. Yeah. Let's see how time is. Okay. We can sit for five minutes. Yeah, and okay, if someone has more? something else to end with. What? Was that? what? Oh, you said I'm, you had more to present. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, more to present. I mean, I'm jumping the gun. I misunderstood. I can't follow my own instructions long enough to remember them. Well, I had picked out a couple things that oh, I happened to appreciate. Um, okay. Well, I found all sorts of good things, but I can't share them all. This isn't quite as poetic, but it's part of um, Okamura's or Okamura Roshi's commentary. Um, he's actually going back to the beginning of the Genjo Koan, returning for a moment to the first three sentences of Genjo Koan. Each sentence corresponds to one of these three truths. The first sentence corresponds to the truth of the expedient, meaning the uh, kind of ordinary, conventional 
understanding. His second sentence to the truth of emptiness and the third sentence to the truth of the middle, the actual practice of the Buddha way as the reality of our lives. This practice is based on the teachings of the first two truths, and yet it goes beyond viewing reality from either of their perspectives. Practicing in this way transcends both abundance, expedient being, and deficiency, emptiness. Of course, we know that emptiness is not deficiency. He's just using these terms. Um, in choosing this, in, wait a minute. Uh, Dogen is saying that the image of the moon and water is more than simply a symbol of the emptiness of all dharmas or a metaphor for the Buddhist dharma body. He is telling us that the moon in water refers to reality as the truth of the middle. Like the middle way? Yeah. Okamura Roshi goes into a long uh, commentary about Nagarjuna here. Yeah. Which I don't know how many of you have read Nagarjuna, but um, he expounds over and over about what the middle way is. And is it similar to what Dogen is saying here? Yes. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Dogen, I believe he said that Nagarjuna was the most important teacher since Shakyamuni. Well, he also said, Okamura she said that the moon has been a symbol of emptiness. Going to Nagarjuna, I guess. In many Buddhist scriptures, and apparently um, Vimalakirti also speaks of this, the moon and the water as a simile representing emptiness of all things. That is that everything lacks independent existence and that are un they're ungraspable and transitory. And they don't arise, nor do they perish. So we can't hurt the moon for the times of my life where I think I'm turning the world. You know, what I think or I'm worried about is really important. I can't hurt the moon. Can the moon hurt you? And the moon can't hurt me. Of course, now that we're on the moon and there are other things going on, but yeah. I remember once, you know, I had an experience and decided that I was that I had become enlightened by an experience. And then my old, um, my karmic self came back and praising myself and that kind of thing. And then I thought I had ruined my enlightenment. Yes. <laughs> so that may be familiar to some of you. 
that even can't cling even to those experiences. It's very very grateful. Yeah, you can't damage. What is it, what's that phrase? After enlightenment comes the laundry. Yeah. <laughs> All over and over. Do the dishes. Yeah. Or the mushrooms in Marley's case. Kabir has his hand up. Thank you. Yes. I don't know if it was Sojin or Suzuki Roshi that said, "We start from enlightenment and we walk and we go towards practice." Mm, I like that. That, mean, that means something to me. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Yes. How I how I interpret that um, was that let's just get this whole enlightenment business out of the way. <laughs> yeah. Okay, fine. You're enlightened. Woohoo! Now go sit. Now go practice. Come down the mountain. And and I'm so glad you have the moments that you appreciate too. Yes, yes. They're, that's, yeah. not to be, that's not to be poo-pooed. No, 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 no. Not in that way. But I think it kind of addresses not getting caught in a way. And also there's work to do. Um, I remember, I mean, I... It's like, oh my God, once, and, and coming from a, a Tibetan tradition that I practiced almost 20 years, and and then I came here, and, and enlightenment was a very big deal. They would actually say, if you do all this in five years, you will be enlightened. And it was like the shiny object was just right to use. Okay, I got to do this to get that, you know? And so when I came to Zen, it was like, okay, all right, you, you know, everybody's enlightened now. You know, roll up your sleeves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How did you feel about that? It was. I felt lighter. I. I didn't have to try so hard or worry about it. Yeah. Just, just be here. Just show up. Yeah. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you. Everyone. So we have a couple minutes, we'll sit for a minute, and then we're going to end. And thank you for being here. We hope to see you next week. So there have been 11 people in the room and 16 online.
Should we check the wreckages to end? Sure, that's a good idea. Okay. <clears throat> These are numberless. I vow to awaken with them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to become it. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for practice. And we'll have class next week. Yep. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much. Good night. Good night.